Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.03 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 14th of February, 2022. That's Valentine's Day for a lot of us in the world. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope you have somebody to share it with. It is episode 544 of Bitcoin, and I got some stuff to bring to you today. We're going to talk a little bit about why the word freedom is such a useful rallying cry for protesters. Yeah, we're going to start with that one. Got some El Salvador stuff. Uh, The Uber CEO said something about accepting Bitcoin. We'll figure it out. Uh, Intel's chip is supposed to be a thousand times faster. And of course, we're talking about the ASICs Bitcoin mining chip. Uh, What else we got on? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Uh, Network, uh, Bitcoin network hash rate explodes an all-time high. We'll talk about that. Uh, And some IRS reporting rules. Apparently, crypto miners are going to be exempt. We'll figure it out. Uh, What else we got here? We got Bill Miller in the news. We'll have the the usual vital statistics with the commodities. (laughs) Spoiler alert, Peter Schiff is in a good mood. Uh, I'm going to also read this interview from uh, Citadel 21. It's an interview with Greg Zaj, fuck you, Greg, by Pirate Beach Bum, who was recently in a Twitter squabble, but we won't even get into that shit. I'm just seeing a lot of Twitter guys, a lot of my Twitter peeps, in some all-out brawls, man. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like, I just want to, I want to slip into these arguments and tell them to shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down, but it's not my argument. So I just kind of keep my, my nose out of all that bullshit. DeFi on Bitcoin, who cares? We'll talk about that. UK tax authority has made an NFT seizure. We're going to talk about the World Wildlife Federation, getting some sense about them. And apparently, oh yeah, the racism in crypto, apparently, uh, Crypto hurts people of color. We'll talk about that. And of course, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Oh my God, the Super Bowl. And and then we'll end it off with a, with a joke. If you uh, want to support what I do and uh, keep the morning news coming Monday through uh, Friday, although yes, indeed, I did not do a show uh, last Friday and I, I apologize for that. Things happen and sometimes you just can't get out of it, but... In either event, generally speaking, Monday through Friday, I bring you the news that you can use, and it's all about Bitcoin most of the time, unless there's some, you know, funny NFT stories going on. But if you want to support the show, it's Podcasting 2.0, in case you need to know, and I really like going that way because I get to actually see the donations pouring in live, real time. Actually, it's not donations. It's value for value. If you value the podcast and the news that I bring in, let you know what the hell's going on so you can start your day appropriately, 
then you stream me Satoshis for that. If I give you value and you stream me value, it is technically the value for value model. And it is my favorite way for support to come in for this show. And I thank all of the people that continuously stream me Satoshis because it's so much fun to see. It's so much more interactive for me to be able to look at my lightning node and just watch the Satoshis flow in. It's, it's amazing. It's in, in a way, well, actually in many ways, it's much better than the experience that I get for the people that support me on Patreon. And don't get me wrong. I love my patrons. I really do. Got another one, I think on Thursday. In fact, an old buddy of mine uh, said it was at least worth a fiver. And so thank you, Chris. I appreciate that, bro. Um, He's one of my, he's actually one of my oldest friends uh, from back in the day when we all lived in Lubbock. Uh, There was, I had to experience the great exodus of get this. Like, I think it was like a total of, it was like seven people that I knew and were really good friends with and loved hanging around with them. And literally on the same day, they all moved to Austin and they have never returned. That was a sad day for me. But, most of them, as far as I gather, are still in Austin. Chris, you are one of those dudes, even if you do live in the town that me and my wife got married in, and I won't say the name of the town because I don't want to dox anybody, but um, if you do, if you're not comfortable with the Lightning Network and streaming Misatoshis on the Value for Value Podcasting 2.0 model, I understand that. I get it. That's why I have Patreon. It's Bitcoin and Podcast on Patreon. That's Bitcoin and Podcast on Patreon. Um, if you would, uh, you know, sign up just for support. I I try to make it to where, like, I, I know I put the shows out for free for everybody to listen to. So it's not really like you're getting any kind of special things. And I know that that's kind of, you know, not the way the Patreon model works, but I got asked by a few people, hey, could you please let me pay with a credit card? And honestly, Patreon was the best model. And I don't like it because it's a centralized situation. And if I start, you know, I don't know, if I badmouth the US government enough or vaccine passports and mandates and all that kind of shit, they'd probably just delete the damn thing. But normally I talk about Bitcoin and that's what we're going to do today. But first, we need to get a message from our good senator down here in Texas, Senator Ted Cruz. These authoritarians hate Bitcoin and they hate crypto and it's for the same reason. Why do they hate Joe Rogan? Because they can't control him. He's not subject to to their Hmm. authoritarian power. Why do they hate Bitcoin? Because they can't control it. It is a Hmm. system of currency outside of the monopoly control of the US government. And, and I got to say, as I've addressed, uh, you know, I, I spoke at a big crypto conference in, in Austin several months ago, and I said, listen, you need to understand this administration, I believe, is going to go after you and is going to try to destroy you. And by the way, that's a pattern of authoritarians. China, communist China, outlawed Bitcoin for the exact same reason. Why does Elizabeth Warren hate Bitcoin? For the same reason that she and China hates Bitcoin, because neither one of them can control it. And, and, and the theme through all of this is, is the power of freedom 
to be not subject to the arbitrary whims of those in government power. Well, that's a nice sentiment there, Ted Cruz from Texas. And well, let's caveat the entire uh, analysis here. I'm not, I'm not not a fan of Ted Cruz, but I am not like a fan. You know, I mean, I, 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 he's a politician. And at, on the surface, all of that shit sounds good, right? But if you start digging into the rhetoric, it basically is the same shit sandwich that every politician feeds you. They're just telling you what you want to hear. He Supposedly, he bought Bitcoin. Maybe it was one Bitcoin because apparently he bought $50,000 worth. And at the time that he bought it or by the time at the time he disclosed it, it was very possible that we had a 50,000 uh, Bitcoin price, um, which means that he's a whole corner, a whole coiner or very close to a whole coiner. But, you know, OK, whoop do you do? That's great. Hey, Senator Ted Cruz owns Bitcoin. Yay, we're all going to be rich. No, that's not the way this works. Um, there was some some rhetoric in there and some time, not timing. Well, yeah, we'll just say timing for lack of a better term. Where he talks about, it's true. What he's, see, that's the thing with rhetoric. It's like, it's a hidden message that's wrapped in truth. Yes, it's true that authoritarians hate Bitcoin because they can't control it. But what did Ted do? Ah, Ted wrapped the truth around a message that he wanted to convey. He said, this administration wants to destroy you because of Bitcoin. He compared China and Elizabeth Warren directly. I mean, it wasn't even like tacit. It was basically a why Elizabeth Warren and China hates fucking Bitcoin. Okay, it was right, I they put them right next to each other. This to me is him garnering votes from Bitcoiners. And he's he's gonna get them because right now we have we're not learning our lessons. We are just not. I hate to say it, but I, you know, somebody's gotta stand up and tell the truth. We're getting suckered in by people who are masters of rhetoric. And who are the best rhetoricians? on the face of the earth and have been that way for thousands of years? Politicians. Why? Because rhetoric in ancient Greece was a, an entire school of thought. The way you pronounced words, the way your body language was, the way that you, you made motions with your hands. Why? So that people off in the distance that couldn't hear you could understand what you were saying. There was an art to public speaking. And it was the rhetoricians that built that art. And most of them ended up being politicians. Even back then, they, the training that you got as somebody who was going to end up in the Roman Senate, because it's not like it was a, not like it was chance. It was who your family was. So if you were in the Roman Senate and you had a son, you sent your son to rhetoric school and have them hang out with a bunch of dudes in togas and shit like that, teaching them how to use their hands, how to use speech inflection points, how to, how to wordsmith sentences and wrap them in the God's honest truth. And that's exactly what this dude did. I mean, Cruz is not an idiot by any stretch of the imagination. He's just not. But he seems to hold Bitcoin. He seems to like Bitcoin. 
I will give him the benefit of the doubt, but when he screws up, I'm going to put the screws to him. And I hope that everybody else does too, because honestly, he's probably going to screw up. Now, speaking of screwing up, and I don't know if this is going to get widely circulated, but it appears that the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, sabotaged three very large excavators on the side of a highway or, or, or close to like one of these, you know, uh, convoy blockade thingies deals that are going down in Canada around the United States, Canada border disabled them. And it was kind of pretty bad. So I'm going to, I'm going to play you a clip of the guy kind of verbalizing what was done to not one, not two, but three very large excavators. Now I sent this to uh, Ghost of Stony, who used to be Stony Bitson on Twitter before they killed his account, like much like they killed Alex Svetsky's account, they killed my account. There's a lot of Ghost of people on Twitter right now, and it basically means that we've been destroyed by Twitter at one point or another. In either event, Stony, who, by the way, is an excavator, he does stack stones, that's why he calls himself Stony, and he's very, very good at it, and he understands this equipment very, very well, when he saw the video, uh, and this is where the audio, I, I stripped the audio from the video that I sent Stoney. He's like, I don't know, man, those excavators are looking pretty sad and tired. And indeed they are. But I mean, if they work, they work. Why they were there, I'm not sure. But the, there was, there's two, there's a, at least one video circulating around. It's about four and a half minutes long. I'm not playing the, the whole audio for that one. But uh, uh, that video was chopped up into a couple of parts. And the first part that I saw was the dude on, I guess the owner of the excavators was on the telephone to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police representative or whoever that was that was on the phone said, yes, we disabled three excavators. Uh, so they admitted it. And then he called him back and had another round with him. And he was very polite about the fact that, you know, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police essentially did, you know, thousands of dam dollars of damages to his three excavators by disabling them. And what this clip is, is the guy saying, you know, basically describing what was done. Now, excavators, you know, these are very large pieces of equipment that are used to move large amounts of dirt. And the reasoning that was given by the RCMP was that, they just wanted to make sure that these were disabled so that they couldn't take part in any illegal activities. You want to know what the damage was? Check it out. So they've cut this main battery cable. Yeah. They cut this negative battery cable almost all the way through. They cut the cables on the solenoids. These would be a start solenoids and uh, probably a glue plug solenoids. And then this control box, they've cut all the wires in it. They took the fuel lines off. They sprayed foam them shut. Yeah. There's a filter missing over there. Um, and they've cut all the wires off the solenoids there. Yeah. Let's get right in there. Yeah, yeah. And then on the other side here. You see the foam there, yeah. Got the foam. Yeah, filters are missing. And they're foamed shut. Now, I'm no expert about 
heavy lifting, you know, excavation equipment and that kind of thing, diesel engines and whatnot. But one of the most disturbing things, well, actually it was all pretty disturbing when you think about it. You know, these things were left on private property with the permission of the owner, according to, according to the guy that, that is responsible for these machines. They asked permission to park these things on private land, the RCMP without warrant or anything that we know about. Okay, I'm gonna caveat that as I don't know, I wasn't there, but it seems uh, that there was no warrant and there was no, there was no crime committed. It was just, it was pre-crime, uh, right? This was like the pre-crime division of RCMP saying, well, those possibly could be used to do something in with illicit activity simply because of their proximity to the quote unquote illegal activity that's going on along the border. So they were just, so they just, I mean, what the fuck were they going to do? Drive the excavators up and just, I don't know, shove like police cars off the bridge. I, I, I don't know what the illegal illicit activity was that, that they said, but when the guy said they cut the fuel line, if you didn't hear it, because there's a, a bit of a Canadian accent there, they spray foamed them shut spray foam. It's the kind of stuff that you use to, you know, seal up cracks in doors. It's like, you know, weather stripping stuff. It's uh, polyacetate or polycyanurate or something like that. It hits air and it like it's liquid and then it hits air and it immediately expands and, uh, and, and uh, solidifies really, really hard. Not hard as a rock, but very hard. So they cut the fuel lines and sprayed f like this foam inside the fuel lines to completely block them up. And then they took the fuel filters. They took them. They didn't, you know, screw them up. They literally un unscrewed the, the fuel filters and took them away. Without the fuel filters, you can't get any gas into the, or any diesel into the engine whatsoever because it's you know, it, it would just literally pour out of the open port because there's no fuel filter there. I mean, and then they cut the electrical lines, they cut control lines, they cut hydraulic lines. You, if you were a teenager and you did this shit to somebody's heavy equipment and you got fucking caught, do you have any idea how much trouble you would be in, not only with the law, but with the owner of the excavator? This is substantial damage because it, this was done to all three of them. All the electrical was cut. All the control panels were cut. Solenoid were cut. Fuel, fuel lines were cut and then spray foamed. The, all the fuel filters were taken. Taken. What world are we living in at this point? This doesn't even, I mean, this doesn't even make any sense. It this is is really bad, ladies and gentlemen. It's really really bad, and I don't know how this shit's going to play out. It looks like the RCMP is getting serious on the border. It does look like some military is out there. I don't know where this is going to go. I have heard that if uh, the truckers have said if they remove us all, we're going to park our trucks somewhere, maybe at home, and we're just not going to work. They're just not going to haul shit. What are you going to do then, RCMP? I mean, and, and also, I, I do have to say, there's a question in my mind. Will they? Will they? I don't know. They're so close. They're so close at this point. But 
you know, you threaten somebody with their life and things change. And that's why we live in a situation in which we live. We just allow people with bigger guns than we have to tell us exactly what to do all the time. And I don't know, that didn't bode well for the French in the 1700s. So probably isn't going to bode well for Canada here either. Uh, let's do this one since we're talking about uh, Canada and freedom and all that. This is a article from the CBC or the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Why the word freedom is such a useful rallying cry for protesters. They're actually, yeah, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Let's, let's see just how bad it is. As demonstrators against COVID-19 restrictions continue across Canada, the word freedom is on the lips and placards of a many a protester. Often associated with protests and rallies in the United States, the term freedom has taken hold amongst protesters who are part of the Freedom Convoy, which rolled into Ottawa in late January and has become entrenched in the city's downtown. For many, freedom is a malleable term, one that's open to interpretation. That flexibility, in part, has fueled its growth among certain groups, said Barbara Perry, director of the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism at the Oshawa-based Ontario Tech University. Quote, it is a term that has resonated. You can define it and understand it and sort of manipulate it in a way that makes sense to you and is useful to you depending upon your perspective, she told Cross Country Checkup. It's also a term that has thrived, wait for it, amongst far-right groups, said Perry, one of a number of experts who say the presence of far-right groups in Canada is growing. Jesus, they don't have any other ammunition at this point, as seen among some protesters currently opposing vaccine mandates and other public health measures. Freedom signals a desire for freedom from government intervention or overreach, Perry noted. Quote, I think it resonates very much with what we've been seeing and maybe take some inspiration from what we've been seeing in the U.S. over the last year and a half or so leading up to the last election and events of January 6th, she said, referring to the insurrection at the United States Capitol. That's all we need to know. The CBC is actually denigrating the word freedom. This is how low they've sunk. You can't really reinterpret freedom. You can tell people that some people are reinterpreting freedom to mean something other than, than freedom, but let's, let's have a gut check here. How much do you trust the CBC or any media at this point? They're denigrating the word freedom. Say it again. They're denigrating the word freedom. One more time, just for the people in the back. They're denigrating the word freedom. What does this tell you? We're not living amongst people that care for us any longer. I'm sure that there was a time, probably not, not long ago, that there were a good portion of governments around the world that had a lot of elements that wanted to actually help the citizenry, that understood their mission, understood what their jobs actually meant. But for decades, that has been subsumed by a cloak of evil will. 
from people that don't care about other people. And I'm not sure how this shit got started, but one thing is for sure, I get the feeling it's going to end. And I, my heart felt hopes for it ending not in a nuclear, thermonuclear war, but ending in something a little bit more akin to just people figuring out, God, I can't believe I've been so damn evil, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Let's go to El Salvador. El Salvador's Bitcoin law, understanding alternatives to government intervention. Uh, this is from Cointelegraph, and it's written by two people whose names I have no hope of pronouncing, so therefore I will not. Last year, El Salvador dominated headlines as the first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. The move is controversial, both in and outside of the country. Heralded for its potential to bring financial services to large portions of El Salvador's unbanked population and criticized for its top-down implementation. This has created a sense of uncertainty and made some Salvadorans feel they lacked a choice despite locations like El Zante already accepting Bitcoin as payment through organic development. That predate the law. The arguments, while for and against the law, don't actually exist in contradiction to one another. While the decision may have been made by the government, it is bringing, or it is bringing financial services to new portions of the population. Not all governments, however, are interested in declaring Bitcoin a legal tender, leaving us to consider a new question. How can we encourage crypto adoption in emerging markets like El Salvador without involving governments you spelt Bitcoin wrong again? In August of 2021, the World Bank reported that nearly half of the Latin American and Caribbean population were unbanked, meaning that they had no access to a bank account or other financial services. These unbanked individuals cited the cost of maintaining an account, distance from financial institutions, lack of necessary documentation, and lack of trust as among the most common reasons for remaining unbanked. Being unbanked poses major challenges, making it difficult for individuals to safely receive payments, save money, transfer funds outside of their communities or access credit and their credit scores. In short, leaving or in short, being unbanked can make it nearly impossible for individuals to perform daily financial transactions that many of us take for granted. Cryptocurrencies are changing that by helping individuals access online financial services like savings applications, lending platforms, and even micro insurance solutions from their mobile devices with far fewer hurdles and for lower fees than traditional financial institutions demand. It's these three characteristics of cryptocurrencies, accessibility, affordability, and anonymity that make Bitcoin, thank you, an appealing option for banking the unbanked in countries like El Salvador. It's important, however, to make the distinction between impact and implementation. While mass adoption of cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin can have a profoundly positive impact on unbanked populations, offering a new alternative for accessing vital financial services will bring forth more than a few ways to encourage that adoption. El Salvador chose government intervention implementing Bitcoin as a legal tender as part of a larger strategy to move El Salvador out of poverty. In fact, the government itself even chose to invest its reserves in Bitcoin, taking on the risk of volatility in favor of the potential earnings and keeping its promise to support building infrastructures like schools and public facilities across the country. However, government intervention isn't the only option. As many governments across Latin America express their disinterest in accepting Bitcoin as legal tender, we're beginning 
to envision alternative options for encouraging mainstream adoption from a more grassroots perspective. In my mind, there are five key factors that we must consider. Mobile access, education, financial barriers, institutional adoption, and Bitcoin alternatives. Yeah, let's not even talk about that last one. Promoting mobile accessibility. For the mass adoption of cryptocurrencies to take root, financial technology companies involved in the crypto space must offer mobile-friendly solutions to users. In Latin America and the Caribbean, less than 50% of the population has fixed broadband connectivity, and only 9.9% has high-quality fiber connectivity at home, while 87% of the population lives within range of a 4G signal. That's a 37% increase in the number of individuals able to gain financial services when, they've made, uh, when they're made available on mobile devices. If fintechs can create financial solutions for mobile phones, they can make it more convenient and intuitive for new users to engage in this novel technology. Education. While mobile-friendly crypto offerings are already becoming the norm across the crypto space, education is another key consideration. <coughs> Without a proper understanding of what cryptocurrency is and how it works, individuals cannot be expected to trust the technology or use it safely. Lack of trust was among the major reasons individuals cited for being unbanked. Fintechs can overcome that barrier and foster trust in cryptocurrencies by developing transparent educational programs designed to show users what cryptocurrencies are and how they can benefit from the technology. Programs such as Rabbit Hole are even taking that direction a step further by incentivizing learning through learn-to-earn programs that reward users for learning to participate in decentralized applications. When that education is successful, it can move beyond building trust and inspire communities to build on top of pre-existing technologies, adapting it to meet their needs in br and bringing even more users into the space. Breaking financial barriers, of course, to begin transacting at all, users must have basic funds. Universal basic income initiatives can be especially effective, oh my God, help me, in encouraging digital currency adoption by providing essential resources, i.e. income. <coughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Impact Market is currently leading the way for UBI in the blockchain space, allowing for the creation and distribution of unconditional basic income between communities and their beneficiaries through its decentralized poverty alleviation protocols. When funds are sent as digital assets through mobile-friendly, education-oriented platforms, they encourage users to adopt the technology without forcing use upon individuals, uh, encouraging institutional adoption. The final piece of the puzzle is institutional adoption. UBI, education, and mobile access will only get new users, especially otherwise unbanked individuals, so far if they cannot see opportunities to transact using digital currencies in everyday life. Groups like CARE and the Grameen Foundation are already incorporating blockchain technology into their transactions by using crypto to provide aid in Ecuador and the Philippines, respectively. When institutions use cryptocurrencies to effect positive change, they inspire new trust in the technology while making funds available to vulnerable populations. Uh, branching out from Bitcoin, Fucking no, not even going to do it. We'll skip that entire section because I'm tired of the shit coinery in this space. El Salvador's decision 
to implement Bitcoin as a legal tender may have emerged in recognition of Bitcoin's potential to benefit huge portions of the country's population, but we cannot expect all countries to follow in its footsteps. FinTech companies entering emerging markets in Latin America and beyond must consider alternative grassroots strategy for encouraging crypto adoption, mobile accessibility, education, access to funding, institutional adoption, and Bitcoin alternatives will be key to encouraging mass adoption of cryptocurrencies in emerging markets without involving governments. To make these changes, it's important to think local rather than global. How can we tailor programs to meet these five needs to smaller communities across the globe, helping individuals access digital currencies and financial technologies that meet their distinct and diverse needs? Don't end an article with a question that you do not answer. The hell is wrong with you? You literally ended an article with a question. Stop, stop it. Oh my God. Oh, it's terrible. It's just absolutely terrible. Okay, Uber will absolutely accept Bitcoin when it becomes more environmentally friendly. Ah, the ESG narrative. It's like a virus. That's the real pandemic, by the way. Decrypt.co's Matthew DeSalvo brings it to us. Uber, the world's largest ride-sharing app, today doubled down on its plans to eventually accept various forms of cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin for payment. Dara Uber's CEO, said in a Friday Bloomberg interview that the, crypt, that the company would absolutely accept cryptocurrency in the future. Quote, we're having conversations all the time about cryptocurrency, he said. I think right now what we see with Bitcoin and some of the other cryptos is that they are quite valuable as a store of value. He added, quote, the exchange mechanism is expensive. It's not great for the environment. As the exchange mechanism becomes less expensive, becomes more environmentally friendly, I think you will see us lean into crypto a little bit more. Crypto is routinely criticized over its energy usage and purported environmental impact in order to secure the Bitcoin blockchain and create new Bitcoin. The network undergoes a process called mining, which involves large computing rigs, racing to solve complex mathematical problems, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's really all we need because they, the, the, the whole story is about this dude uh, the CEO of Uber saying that, yeah, eventually they will. But his statement here, he where he says, the exchange mechanism is expensive and it's not great for the environment. As the exchange mechanism becomes less expensive, becomes more environmentally friendly, I think well, you will see us lean into crypto a little bit more. Okay, first of all, the guy clearly doesn't know about the Lightning Network. So if you're listening and you somehow or another feel the need to scratch a Twitter itch, you know, you might want to get on this guy's Twitter handle or Twitter account and tell him about the Lightning Network. All right, because that is cheaper. You don't have to, I'm not going to do, a, I'm not going to do a full layer one transaction for a, getting a, hailing a fucking taxi. I'm not going to do it. It's ridiculous. I got the Lightning Network for that. That's where your coffee comes in. That's where your beer comes in restaurants, you know, I don't know, donating to the dude playing the guitar on the street in New York City. Who knows? As long as they got a QR code that is somehow or another tells my lightning wallet where the hell to send some Satoshis, I'm off to the freaking races. But I'm not going to pay rideshare with a layer one transaction. Not going to happen. The man doesn't seem to understand what's going on. When we read that first the article about El Salvador, one of the main five things that they were talking about on adoption 
was education. And I will say it one more time. I said it on Thursday. I will say it again today. Education is the keystone species in this space. Education is the keystone species in this space. Without it, everything falls down. Education is key. It's the keystone species. All right, let's go on to uh, Intel's Bitcoin mining chip to be a thousand times faster than closest rivals, claims the vice president. And here we go. This was his, the Uber CEO's second concern is that it's just, oh, it's so environmentally impactful. Well, if, it, if we're, we start getting ASIC chips that are a thousand times faster than what we have at the top of the line right now, that shit's gonna probably change eventually. I don't know. I mean, it just, I guess the argument's gonna be, well, this is gonna be like building more lanes on a highway. You think it's gonna alleviate traffic, but it just causes more people to be able to use their cars on the highway, so the traffic jam never goes down. I can see that as a valid argument. But a thousand times faster, honestly, we're gonna have to see two things. One, does this is this chip gonna perform? And two, will people actually just start buying the shitload out of the, you know, a shitload of these chips and we still use the same energy footprint that everybody bitches about and so that we've never, you know, we're never able to alleviate that. And honestly, we probably never should give a shit about alleviating that argument. That argument's gonna die on the vine no matter what. But I have, you know, we're sitting here looking square in the face of Uber CEO, not understanding basic tenets of that which he says that they will eventually use. That's a bad sign, but whatever. Let's check this one out from George, George, from CryptoPotato.com. Intel Corp on Friday announced the launch of its energy efficient, super fast processing chip for blockchain applications. Build it to be 1,000 times faster than its nearest rivals. Intel's blockchain accelerator will be available to its customers later this year. The official release by Raja Kuduri, Senior Vice President, General Manager of Accelerated Computing Systems and Graphics Group, elaborated on the launch. Quote, today, we at Intel are declaring our intent to contribute to the development of blockchain technologies with a roadmap of energy-efficient accelerators. Intel will engage and promote an open and secure blockchain ecosystem and will help advance the technology in a responsible and sustainable way, said Raja. Last month, Intel, the world's second largest semiconductor chip maker after TSMC, scheduled a presentation under, quote, highlighted chip releases, end quote, at the ISSCC conference. It had presented its upcoming chip for the blockchain industry as a bonanza mine processor and described it as an ultra-low voltage, energy-efficient Bitcoin mining ASIC. Among the major clients that have invinced, or rather evinced, interest in the new processor chip is Jack Dorsey's led Block Inc., formerly Square, quote, Argo Blockchain, Block, and grid infrastructure are among our first customers for this upcoming product. The architecture is implemented on a tiny piece of silicon so that it has minimal impact to the supply of current products, Raja informed. The new Intel chip <clears throat> should be available for shipping later in 2021. What? No, it's 2022, Joe, whatever. And it promotes uh, to promises to make BTC mining quicker and more energy efficient. 
Uh, Intel's foray into the blockchain industry as a provider of quick processing capacity could attract more players into the field of mining. Yeah, well, duh. All right, so that's the number. This is the first time that I've actually seen a number released from Intel uh, that, you know, well, this is the first time I've seen a number from Intel. And that number is shit a thousand times faster. That could be fairly interesting, but we've got better fish to fry. Bitcoin network hash rate explodes to a new all-time high of 248.11 exahashes per second. If you missed that, that's 248 exahashes per second. And this is Cointelegraph's Arjit Sarkar. The Bitcoin network recorded a new hash rate all-time high of 248 exahashes per second on Saturday. The hash rate correlates to the compute power. Yes, we know. I'll skip that. Sorry about that, guys. As evidenced by the above screenshot, the network hash rate jumped 31.7% from 188 to 248 exahashes per second in 24 hours, y'all. In one single day, it went from 188 to 248 exahashes per second. I've never seen that. I've been in this game since 2015. I've never seen that. Anyway, moreover, the Bitcoin network's hash rate levels have risen 54% over the past year. And previously, China's blanket, blanket ban on crypto mining and trading led to concerns about the security of the Bitcoin network as the Asian country contributed oh, basically a third of the total Bitcoin mining hash rate until June 2021, with Bitcoin with miners eventually finding refuge in other crypto-friendly countries, the Bitcoin network saw a sharp recovery, eventually surpassing its previous all-time highs. So what does that say? It, what it tells me is that a lot of the mining rigs that were purchased last year, uh, basically pre-purchased, have been delivered, they have been put on a rack, they have been connected to the network and they have been plugged in and they all came on at once. It's amazing. And I wonder if we're going to get word later on, if that's just a single entity, because all in one day, if it's not by a single entity, then that's one hell of a coordinated plan of attack between several miners. And that may be a signal worth watching. But again, we have better fish to fry here. Uh, crypto miners are going to be exempt from IRS reporting rules. The U.S. Treasury affirms Helen Parts, Cointelegraph, the cryptocurrency industry in the United States is about to score a major legal win as the United States Treasury Department plans to spare crypto miners and other, quote, ancillary parties from tax reporting rules. In a letter to a group of senators on Friday, the United States Treasury indicated that it plans to exempt crypto miners, stakers, and other market participants from rules that would require crypto brokers to share data on their clients' transactions with the Internal Revenue Service. Quote, appreciate the Treasury Department affirming that crypto miners, stakers, and those who sell hardware and software for wallets are not subject to tax reporting obligations, Senator Rob Portman said, announcing the news on Twitter. <clears throat> in a letter, or the letter, Treasury Assistant Secretary for Legislative Affairs Jonathan Davidson said that the department's position is that ancillary parties who cannot get access to information that is useful to the IRS are not intended to be captured by the reporting requirements for brokers, end quote. Davidson also emphasized crypto validators are not likely to know whether a transaction is part of a sale while entities involved in offering services related to hardware or software crypto wallets 
are not carrying out broker activities. So there you go. It looks like we have scored a fair, that's a fairly large win. That takes a lot, That that is a huge sigh of relief breathed through at least three separate sub-industries in Bitcoin. So I'm surprised that the IRS did this, but then again, I was surprised when the IRS labeled Bitcoin as a commodity or rather as a property and not a commodity. I thought that was was fascinating. Anyway, uh, legendary investor Bill Miller's Bitcoin position is, quote, very big. Namcios, Bitcoin Magazine, legendary value investor Bill Miller reiterated in a Wednesday interview that holding Bitcoin is akin to having insurance against financial catastrophe. Echoing comments he made last month as he disclosed that Bitcoin comprised half of his fortune. Half, guys. Bill Miller's fortune includes half Bitcoin. Holy shit, I didn't know it was that large. Miller explained that Bitcoin doesn't account for 50% of his portfolio any longer, given the digital currency's price decline over the past couple of months. However, he said his allocation to Bitcoin still is very big. It's like an insurance policy, the chairman and chief investment officer of Miller Value Partner said, according to Markets Insider Report. Quote, insurance policies have no intrinsic value. In fact, you want them to have no intrinsic value. You don't want to have your house burned down or get in a terrible accident, but you pay for insurance every year just in case that happens, end quote. Whether anything has intrinsic value or not is a topic of debate, as some argue all value is subjective to human judgment. However, Miller's point converses with the instability of many countries' financial systems around the world. Quote, Bitcoin is an insurance against financial catastrophe as we see in Lebanon or in Afghanistan or many of these other countries where we saw around that around the time of the pandemic. End quote. Afghanistan last year suffered from intense economic instability after a complete U.S. military withdrawal led to a clown show. Oh, I mean, the government's collapse. Residents of the Afghan capital, Kabul, hit a brick wall in August as they sought to withdraw money from their bank accounts and flee the country as Taliban fighters took over the city, demanding the government's surrender. Bitcoin quickly became a tool for financial freedom in the Central Asian country. Miller, who holds the record for most consecutive years outperforming the S&P 500 between 1991 and 2005, also said in the interview that KPMG Canada's recent Bitcoin allocation was a bullish move. Quote, I think you're going to see a lot of adoption among foundations and endowments and institutions this year, and that's going to continue, he said. Shit, those are some numbers. In fact, let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids, meh, but still pretty high in prices. West Texas Intermediate down a third of a point to $92.78. Brent North Sea right at 94 bucks. And that is after a 0.44% uh, downside slope. Natural gas, however, kicking some butt, 3.6% to the upside. Gasoline has fallen by almost a point, 0.86 to $2.71 a gallon. Not that that's really going to help anybody out. But Peter Schiff is very happy, as I said at the beginning of the show. Gold is up a full point and a quarter to $1,864.90. 
Good for you, Pete. Good for you. I'm not even going to talk shit about you. Silver is up two and a quarter points to $23.90. Platinum is up damn near two points. Palladium, however, on the fricking move at 5.79%. And this may have something to do with, I don't know, maybe it was a tweet that I saw. Maybe there's more news about it that I'm not seeing, but I saw a tweet earlier that showed Russia's allocation to different commodities and they own like 40% of the world's palladium. Not gold, not silver, hell, not even platinum. No, no, fuck no, palladium. They've got like 40% of the world's supply stockpiled in like, I guess, bricks in some vault somewhere of palladium. I would have never thought that in a million years, but agricultural futures are all down. Oh my God. Wheat down two points. Soybeans down a point and a half. Corn is down one point. There are no winners here. Even chocolate on Valentine's Day. Chocolate down 1.79%. It's a goddamn bloodbath. Oh my God. We're all going to die. Dow Jones down a third of a point. S&P down 0.11%. NASDAQ is up 0.04 and the S&P mini is up 0.69%. Fuck it. Let's talk about real money sitting at 42,620 bucks. Uh, 231,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is under 10,000 transactions per hour with a scant 207,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's well below 9,000 BTC per hour every hour. <clears throat> the average transaction value is 0.89 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.012 BTC or about 500 bucks. Block times are, well, as you might imagine, low. Eight minutes and 28 seconds. Why are they low? Because the hash rate went through the freaking roof on Saturday. Um, <clears throat> 0.05 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 9.7 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours with a 6.64% decline in hash rate. We're at a 220.9 exahashes per second. God, that's, that's a lot of security. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is 14.7 United States pennies. 4,500 transactions waiting on four blocks to clear. $809 billion of market capitalization is a mere 6.6% of gold's market cap. And now we can only get 22.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,957,931 and a half. And 3,446 and a third of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $146.9 million, being run over 20,098 nodes, sporting 86,457 total payment channels, and 76.6% .6 of all of it's being run over the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that is 11,625 Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Yes, this show is going to run long. My apologies. There was just so much stuff that built up from Friday and over the weekend. And I cannot not read this interview of Greg Zaj by Pirate Beach Bum out of Citadel 21. That's citadel21.com, by the way. So a Pirate asks Greg, 
How long have you been into Bitcoin and what got you interested? I have first, I have been interested in Bitcoin for quite a while. I made my first purchase in 2015, but had known about it since a few years before that. I was initially interested because internet money looked like a really cool technology and the white paper explained a solution to a problem that was pretty easy to understand. What was your best Bitcoin experience and worst Bitcoin experience? Best Bitcoin experience was being at Bitcoin 2021 just off stage when Jack Mallers gave the El Salvador legal tender announcement. There was so much energy in the room. Nobody thought we would see a sovereign adopt Bitcoin this early. And it was just a major vindication for everyone who understands and espouses the game theory associated with Bitcoin. But the worst Bitcoin experience, fuck you. Not buying and holding ever since I found out about it. Fuck it. Live and learn. I'm still early, but missing out on those early gains and purchasing power hurts. Yeah, I hear you, Greg. What's the biggest fail you've seen in the Bitcoin world? The biggest fail is the same fail that most folks have come to grips with. The failure I'm talking about is not taking control of one's own ego when researching Bitcoin. People have a tendency to feel like they missed the boat with Bitcoin and think they can replicate the returns associated with Bitcoin by finding the next Bitcoin. There is no next Bitcoin. Take your failure to get on board earlier, integrate it, and move on. Stay humble and stack those sats. Time is your friend for now. How did you get into memeing about Bitcoin? Well, I got into memeing about Bitcoin because I wanted to contribute to the ecosystem in some way. I was absorbing a lot of information and building my framework for understanding Bitcoin and saw that there was an information asymmetry attack vector that shitcoiners were using to slow Bitcoin adoption and so FUD. They were just dropping a bunch of bullshit all over the place. And to combat it, Bitcoiners were spending large amounts of time in threads arguing with these people and debunking their arguments. It's a losing strategy, and Bitcoiners needed a way to communicate dense ideas quickly and easily. I liked memes, and it turned out that a lot of Bitcoin information can be condensed into memes. This is my contribution to the space. I can't code. I don't have the time or inclination to write treatises on Bitcoin or Austrian economics. I can shitpost with the best of them, though. Why do you think memeing is important in Bitcoin? Memeing is important in Bitcoin because it is useful in distilling complex ideas and frameworks into easily digestible tidbits. It's easier to stack sats and chill than it is to take a certain percentage of every one of your paychecks and store that monetary energy in an asset that can't be debased and not think about it for a decade. Memeing is the most effective weapon Bitcoiners have to combat, pro combat propaganda and FUD. There are large entities with deep pockets who are enemies of Bitcoin. These entities have a multitude of ways to spread anti-Bitcoin messaging to condition people to think a certain way about it. The best way to combat these FUD attempts is to hit back with unassailable facts, logic, and humor. That combination, combination is deadly to a narrative that is not based in fact. <clears throat> How do you feel about memers getting paid by companies to market their products? Free market economies, or sorry, let's do that again. Free market economics at play, baby. If you can get paid by a Bitcoin company to promote a Bitcoin product, then why wouldn't you? What is your favorite Bitcoin meme of all time? Morgan Freeman put one out a few months back. That's pretty hard to top. Hold on. Sorry, guys. I, I tried to figure out a way to dis distill this down, but I am short on time and I want to get through all of this. 
Um, so I'm going to skip that part where like, I don't know what the Morgan Freeman meme is. I, I, I can't find it. Seems to be a video. It's a minute long. No, I'm not going to do it. What inspires your best memes? Fuck you, Greg. <laughs> My best memes come out of conversations I have with people on Bitcoin topics. The funniest people I know are my brother, my wife, and the meme factory memers. Nearly all of my best memes have come out of conversations with those people. Why do people always say, fuck you, Greg? It's not that complex. I'm an asshole. I'm a lovable asshole, but I'm definitely an asshole. I'm always pissing someone off in any number of ways. The fuck you, Greg meme was birthed from me being an asshole to my friends and then popularizing the response. <laughs> What's the best memer rivalry story you have? Chair force. That dirty bastard immortalized fuck you, Greg, by paying to have it displayed on one of Crypto Cloaks' printers. We have been memeing insults at each other all day. This is a useful exercise for any memer, and he just happened to get this one final one up on me to put the battle to rest. Who is the biggest Bitcoin sellout that deserves to be put on blast? That's a tough question. I don't know. Everyone who has needed a shellacking in recent history has gotten it. <laughs> Why is it important to call out the bad actors? It's important to call out bad actors because there is already enough fraud, grift, and lies in the legacy financial system. Bitcoin is about restoring truth to economic calculation and bringing human economic activity in line with natural law and the laws of thermodynamics. Bad actors delay that future and keep the legacy fraud and grift alive longer than it has any right to exist. So who are some of the most hardcore Bitcoiners you know and why? <clears throat> the two most hardcore Bitcoiners I know are Christian Lagarde and Jerome Powell. These two have been doing everything in their power to usher in a Bitcoin standard. I can't think of anything more hardcore than killing the system in which you currently operate to bring about a bright orange future. My hat is off to both of them. I'm not sure that anyone other than Satoshi has done more to advance Bitcoin than either one of them. So why do you think some people, especially noobs, gravitate shit coins? People are losing hope. They don't believe in the future. They are watching their institutions fail in real time. Narcissism and postmodernism are the isms of the day. People gravitate towards shit coins because it's a chance of escaping a life that they don't want. They know the financial game is rigged against them and they are looking for a quick fix to their situation. Shitcoins offer the narrative that one could get insanely rich overnight if one just chooses the right coin. It's bullshit. The vast majority of them are scams designed to separate good, hardworking people from their money. It takes a lot of work to grok Bitcoin. That work is daunting. A noob, by definition, hasn't yet put in the work to understand what Bitcoin is and how it fits in the world. What do you think about this latest dip in the short-term future of Bitcoin? That's a great opportunity to stack some fucking sats. No, you didn't actually say that. I did. The short-term future of Bitcoin is volatile. Zoom out. Plan on a longer timeline than you've been accustomed to. Think about where Bitcoin is headed 20, 30 years from now. Nobody knows what will happen with Bitcoin in the short term. Anyone who tells you they know is full of shit. 
Do you consider yourself a Bitcoin maximalist? If so, why? I do, insofar as it describes me as a person who sees Bitcoin betting the base layer of money in the future. Uh, sorry, sees Bitcoin being the base layer of the money in the future. So screw you, Greg. What Bitcoin startups or companies are you most excited about? Any American Bitcoin mining company. These are the people who will create the most important Bitcoin derivatives. Through political influence, they will create a favorable regulatory environment. With Bitcoin's economic incentives, the miners will help to develop new energy sources and make the electric grid more anti-fragile. Their demand for ASICs will drive down the cost for the mining equipment and help to onshore production in the United States. More production and local production means the prices will continue to drop and the miners will become ubiquitous, which will only strengthen the network. What are your go-to Bitcoin storage options? I have Bitcoin spread across multiple devices and types of wallets. Some sits on my node. I have a Jade wallet from Blockstream, which works well. I have a Ledger, I know, and a Trezor. I use Open Dimes from CoinKite from when I'm gifting Bitcoin to friends and family. I use the Blue Wallet, Blockstream Green, Strike Wallets on my phone. I want to get a cold card as well, but haven't purchased one yet. Any tips? you want to give to people new to Bitcoin. Just do the work to understand the asset you have and its place in history. Stick to Bitcoin only companies and news sources for products and information when and where you can. Get your Bitcoin off of the exchanges and into a wallet for which you control the keys. All right, last question is, some or name some of your favorite information sources and or podcast in the space. Uh, TIP from Pest, uh, Preston Pish, Bitcoin Audible from Guy Swan, TFTC, Matt O'Dell and Marty Bent, Bitcoin Rapid Fire and Closing the Loop from John Vallis, the Bitcoin Standard Podcast from Safedine, Citadel Dispatch by Matt O'Dell, or uh, Orange Pill Podcast by Max Kaiser and Stacy Herbert, Blue Collar Plebcast, LC Hoddle, The Meme Factory Podcast, of course, Bitcoin Kindergarten, Simply Bitcoin by Nico and Phil, Once Bitten by Daniel Prince, Stefan Levera, Anything from Swan, Bitcoin And by David Bennett, and The Wake Up Podcast by Alex Spetsky. Yeah, I know, me and Alex are down there at the goddamn bottom of his list. Greg, I thought you liked me better than that. Son of a, god dang it. Okay, Greg, in honor of that little jab, nah, just kidding, dude. You put me on the list. I, I think that that's pretty cool. But in honor of that, I'm going to give you this. DeFi on Bitcoin. Is it the obvious bet? Well, BitcoinNews.com is going to tell us something about it. Jack Sweeney is writing it. The idea of decentralized finance has hooked itself deep into the minds of crypto bros and tech investors everywhere, but it's DeFi, is it really de decentralized? Is it a true revolution or just another VC-backed exit liquidity scam that preys on retail noobs? If you're a Bitcoiner, you understand that no layer one blockchain can scale to billions of people. If we optimize a blockchain for scalability and transaction speed, it loses its security and decentralization. Solana and Ethereum are perfect examples of this phenomenon. The former suffers from constant downtime and the latter is, broken, has a, is a broken protocol with fees higher than traditional banks. Many Bitcoiners argue that the L1 or base chain of Bitcoin was never meant to scale to the masses. 
Bitcoiners believe that DeFi should scale in layers. Scaling in layers makes sense given the inefficiencies of L1 blockchain tech. We see this layered scaling theory forming in real time. Technologies like the Lightning Network and Liquid Sidechain are forging ahead. These layers are so valuable because they benefit from the security and decentralization of the Bitcoin L1 base chain. DeFi isn't a staking protocol with 300,000% APY. That's the Ponzi scheme. A three-year-old is clever enough to realize that. One Bitcoin user summarized the situation well, quote, Sometimes you hear someone say something like, well, there's, there's more Bitcoin on Ethereum than there is on Lightning or some other such talking point. What they don't realize is that is not because Ethereum is great, but because Bitcoin is. WBTC is something that is using Bitcoin, not Bitcoin using Ethereum. Just like when you buy Bitcoin on Coinbase, that is Coinbase using Bitcoin. Every single market everywhere is going to build a way to use or build in a way to use Bitcoin in their marketplace because Bitcoin is the point. WBTC is obviously worse than owning the real thing, just like owning it on Coinbase, end quote. True DeFi will be built on top of the Bitcoin L1. In fact, there is already a thriving and diverse ecosystem of projects built on the Lightning Network. Microlancer is a Fiverr <clears throat> that uses Bitcoin Lightning payments, and that's just one example. Impervious AI, a P2P application browser built on Bitcoin, also looks promising. LN Markets delivers cash final derivatives trading using Lightning. Platforms like hodlhodl.com and bisc.network are set to disrupt custodial exchanges with growing market and liquidity for P2P trades. Despite massive critique and skepticism, projects such as Stacks, RGB, or mint layer promise to unleash Bitcoin's full potential through smart contracts and decentralized apps. On top of all this, the value for value revolution, only possible in a meaningful way with Lightning, will dramatically change the dynamics of internet monetization. Why does YouTube, the mega monopoly, only give breadcrumbs to the creators? How much would creators earn if paid directly by advertisers and users without a censoring middleman? The Bitcoin L1 is the foundation of the future. What we build on top of this network will change the internet and the world as we know it. Although altcoin and NFT projects <clears throat> will cost a lot of ignorant beginners a lot of money initially, I believe that they are ultimately good for Bitcoin because they draw more users into the ecosystem. But in the end, everyone will use Bitcoin's application layers simply because they are more trustworthy. Okay, that sounds like a good thing, except my, here's my only deal. A lot of like impervious AI is an application browser. That's not DeFi. Microlancer, that's getting paid for work. That's nah, not exactly getting financed. LN Markets, however, that's, I think that that's kind of decentralized finance. BIS Network and hodlhodl.com. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that. But generally speaking, in my opinion, DeFi doesn't have a reason to breathe. At least not right now. Most of it is just pure shit. Until it starts building stuff and financing projects in the real world, in meat space, then you can take your DeFi and you can shove it right up your ass. I'm sorry, but that's just the way I feel about it. Now, UK Tax Authority makes first NFT seizure in a VAT or value added tax fraud case. Uh, Prashant Jha is writing it for Cointelegraph. 
Her Majesty's Revenue and Customers, Customs Service, the chief tax authority in the United Kingdom, has seized three NFTs associated with a suspected tax evasion fraud. The tax watchdog claimed it was the first UK law enforcement agency to seize NFTs. Oh, you should be very proud of yourself. The NFT seizure came along with the arrest of three people who were suspected of evading taxes using various sophisticated means, reported the BBC. The arrested suspects in the case reportedly used fake identities and created 250 fake shell companies to evade 1.4 million British pounds in added value taxes. That's just in taxes, guys. The HMRC obtained a court order to confiscate 5,000 pounds worth of digital assets along with three NFTs from the suspects. HMRC Deputy Director Nick Sharp said that the recent seizure of NFTs and digital assets in the tax fraud case serve as a warning to those looking to hide money from the tax authorities. He said, quote, We constantly adapt to new technology to ensure we keep pace with how criminals and evaders look to conceal their assets. Yeah, the only criminal here is the people that are actually committing to, you know, taxing its citizenry. Tax is theft. Tax authorities' warning to the common public is routine. It is essential to note that the confiscated digital assets and NFTs were seized as assets, which is common in tax evasion cases for authorities to make up for the losses post-court proceedings. These seized digital assets and collectibles weren't used as a tool for the crime. Oh, God. So, yeah, um... Not your keys, not your anything, honestly. Even look, to the guys that are in NFTs, I know I give y'all a lot of shit, but hear me now. If you can in any way, shape, form own your own keys and not have them on your person when you get arrested for tax evasion, yeah, that would be a, that'd be a keen thing to do. Speaking of NFTs again, the World Wildlife Federation, or is it? It's the WWF. Well, the World Wildlife Fund drops NFTs following environmental criticism. <laughs> Scott Cipollina, noted Bitcoin hater from Decrypt.co, tells us more. The World Wildlife Fund is halting sales of NFTs after receiving pushback. Earlier this month, they announced the launch of their NFTs on a proof-of-stake Polygon network in a tweet. Quote, releasing our NFTs on the eco-friendly Polygon blockchain, each transaction has the equivalent carbon emissions of a glass of tap water, they said at the time. Since that tweet, Polygon's network carbon footprint has come under scrutiny. Of course it has. Quote, the carbon footprint of a Polygon transaction is close to 430 grams of CO2. This is 2,100 times more than the optimistic estimate provided by the World Wildlife Fund illustrating that Polygon is nowhere near as sustainable as claimed, said Alex DeVries, founder of the Digiconomist website. Following the criticism, they reversed course on its NFT plans. Quote, We agreed with our partners to bring this to a close last Friday. We recognize that NFTs are a much debated issue and we will have lots to learn about this new market, which is why we will now fully assess the impact of this trial and reflect on how we can best continue to innovate to engage our supporters. Jesus Christ. It's like they're, it's like watching a four-year-old take a game of playing Barbies with their sister seriously. It's sad. 
that something like as large and as storied and as long lasting as the WWF has fallen into this slimy shithole of NFTs and is going to take time to reflect on their fucking transgression. I hate NFTs. I think you should have gotten out of it, not even gotten into NFTs because it's just stupid. But this, for God's sakes, man, it's like, can you do any, like if you get, can we, honestly, let's do this. Let's just criticize all these people publicly on Twitter about anything. And maybe they'll just all stop doing what they're doing and go and reflect. Idiots. A California congressman says crypto is racist. Mm-hmm. Jeff John Roberts, Decrypt.co. Does the government need to protect black people from crypto? Congressman Brad Sherman thinks so. God, what a racist. At a congressional hearing this week, Sherman compared crypto to subprime mortgages and asked a Treasury Department official if, quote, those of color will be left holding the bag if we see a collapse in cryptocurrency or stablecoins, end quote. Whatever his intentions, the reaction on Twitter, especially among black users, was savage, accusing the congressman of being patronizing and out of touch. Ryan Silkis of Missouri suggested it was ironic that Sherman, a known ally of the banking industry, was framing the topic as a racial issue while refusing to debate his pro-crypto primary challenger, Erika Rhodes, who is black. Daniel Buckner, head of decentralized identity at Block, pointed out Sherman's patronizing attitude towards people of color who his own policies have hurt. The controversy raises questions about crypto and race, the full nuances of which are admittedly beyond the lived experience of your Roberts on crypto correspondence, and also about the role of elder Democrats when it comes to defining the party's position on crypto. One place to begin is the fact that multiple surveys show black and Hispanics are more likely to own crypto than the rest of the population. Sherman implied this is because crypto is a scammy financial product like subprime mortgages, which were heavily marketed to low-income communities. A better explanation is that crypto is a permissionless form of money that is especially helpful in neighborhoods where traditional financial institutions often refuse to operate or exploit vulnerable customers. There is a growing evidence that this is the case. All right, there's more to it, but screw it. We got other fish to fry. But I will say this. Much like Ted Cruz, Brad Sherman is no slouch when it comes to the rhetoric himself because he's actually correct. Most of the crypto that's getting shoved on to everybody, and it doesn't matter if you're poor, rich, stupid, smart as a goddamn bug, got a PhD in business, I don't know, whatever. All of us are having 99.999% of this space is just pure garbage and it's all being pushed on us, which is what happened during the Super Bowl and FTX's ad, but we'll talk about that here in a minute. <clears throat> so he's right. So where's the rhetoric? The fact that he uses racism. He's using an object, a, <clears throat> an object of passion, the black person, the, the minority, the poor people. He's using that. He didn't give a fuck about him, by the way. He didn't care but he's using that and it's wrapped in truth because the truth is Brad's right. This space is filled with scams. Cryptocurrency is mostly a scam. The only thing that matters is Bitcoin, but his rhetoric is to get votes. 
And that's how they use the truth. They take truth and they marry it with some object of passion. And that object of passion is selected on the terms of who holds that passion, because that's where the votes are going to come from. So remember, boys and girls, if you want to use rhetoric, find something that is true and shove something that a whole bunch of people you want to reach are passionate about, mix them together in a fucking Cuisinart, and you got yourself one effective shit sandwich. Super Bowl 2022. Here's the scoreboard of crypto ads. I'm not going to read the damn article, but the reason is because I didn't watch the Stuper Bowl, okay? The last Super Bowl that I gave shit one about going to, and then pretty much after watching it, I was like, I, I don't even know why I watched it, and I haven't watched one since, was the Super Bowl where Janet Jackson, Janet Jackson experienced her wardrobe malfunction. I think that was, we're talking a long time ago, several years, several years, since not only have I not seen a Super Bowl, but that I haven't given a crap about it. And I certainly wasn't going to watch this one because I knew what was going to happen. I knew FTX was not going to have a Bitcoin commercial. What they had was a cryptocurrency commercial. They just happened to give Bitcoin away. This is kind of rhetoric working a little bit in reverse. The entire space was awash for the last few weeks with, it's going to be a Bitcoin commercial. So that's the object of passion. But it was used instead of an object of passion as the object of truth. And the lie of cryptocurrency was used in place of the thing or object of passion. This is an inversion of the rhetoric. Okay, it got people who love Bitcoin, who understand Bitcoin, it got them. It got them. We were like talking about FTX. I fell into the trap too, even though I knew what was going to happen. Even though I knew what was going to fucking happen. And it didn't matter. It just, it, 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 it didn't matter. It was about cryptocurrency. They did, if I remember correctly, I did watch the commercial, not on the Super Bowl. I watched it afterwards that somebody tweeted out the two and two and a half minute version of the commercial with Larry David. And, you know, honestly, I think they're, okay, here's, here's, what, here's what I think is going to happen. FTX is going to be raked over the coals for an anti-Semitic commercial. Because, not because Larry David was in it. You didn't know it was, unless you really like Larry David and you really know his face, know it very, very well. Because Larry David appeared as several different characters in this commercial. But he had, and I'm going to say it because I'm just going to, I got to say the truth. He was very Jewish. He was very Jewish about finances. He was very Jewish about financial legacy advice. And it wasn't until the final scene that you, that I realized that it was, oh, fuck, that's Larry David. But I get the feeling that there's going to be some backlash uh, on FTX about this commercial, even though they, that Larry David was, is an actual actor. He's well-known in the industry. But I can almost guarantee you that 
that's probably going to happen. Do I care? Fuck no, I don't care. I actually kind of like Larry David, <clears throat> except some of the uh, shows that he's been involved with. I don't know, man. I can feel Larry David's anxiety when I watch his shows. That's an effective writer. I don't want to feel anxiety. That's why, why I never really got into Curb Your Enthusiasm. Every time I watched one of those episodes, it made me anxious. I actually loved Seinfeld. You know, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David are the people that created the Seinfeld. I loved that show. That was great. But Curb Your Enthusiasm, just, I would watch it and I'm like going, my anxiety is, it just started, it, Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm gave me anxiety. But what that tells me is that Larry David is a very talented writer because he can push his personal anxiety through the written word and through scenes captured on film or, well, videotape as the case may be, and affect the person that does not know Larry David. That's effective. Whether used for good or ill, that's effective. <clears throat> and again, rhetoric plays a great big part of this. Understand rhetoric and you will understand how we've been mind-fucked and brainwashed for decades and our parents before us and our parents' parents before them. This, this has been going on since Greek philosophers figured out that if you were careful with your words, your word selection and how you did things and where your inflection was, that you could control hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Once that discovery, that discovery was, nobody talks about, about it, but the discovery of rhetoric is like the discovery of fire, except most of the time it's used for ill. It doesn't have to be. Rhetoric can be used for good. It's just that in today's day and age, it's, just not, and that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, to everyone out there who's suffering from paranoia, just remember you're not alone. snuck that in on you <clears throat> that's dad says jokes and yeah if you're you know just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not after you seriously I, that that's a t-shirt and i really want that t-shirt if you want to send me a t-shirt dm me on twitter and i'll we'll we'll figure it out um again podcasting 2.0 best way to support the show it's where you got to go if you're in the know god i can't believe i just pulled that shit off Secondly, Patreon. Love all my Patreon guy, or yeah, all, love all my patrons on Patreon. That's Bitcoin and podcast on Patreon. That's Bitcoin and podcast. If you want to help support the show, either podcasting 2.0 or the Patreon is really the, the two major ways of doing it. And I appreciate every single one of you that have helped me out over, God, I think I just passed, like, I think I'm like four months into my fourth year of doing this show. Uh, that's a long time, man. I didn't expect it to go this long, but it's like, it's like an addiction. I just, I can't, I can't not do the show. It's really weird. Uh, much to my detriment sometimes, but, um, you guys, it is Monday. God only knows what we're in store for. Um, it's been like almost 25 minutes since I read what the last price of Bitcoin was. It's probably already changed. We're in for a wild ride. 
This week's going to be very weird for Canada. It's going to be weird for Bitcoin. It's going to be weird for freedom. It's going to be weird for allowing police to be able to sabotage private property at will without any warrants whatsoever. I mean, come on, dude. It's just going to be weird. So watch, watch what's going on. Watch yourself. Be careful out there. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.